Welcome to the AV Forums podcast, presented by Jason Bradbury. Welcome to the seventh AV Forums podcast. Coming up, we've got the usual software news. We review Date Movie and Underworld Evolution on DVD. Plus, we talk to subwoofer experts BK Electronics about their award-winning kit. But first... This week's... This week's... Audio-visual news. In this episode, our first look at Sky HD out-of-this-world speakers from Ireland and new, clever, sharp LCD TVs. The biggest news to strike the UK AV world since our last podcast has been the official launch of Sky's HD service. It's just a shame the May 22nd launch proved anything but the slick operation we could have expected. The problem is simply that Sky didn't have enough HD receivers ready in time to meet launch day demands, meaning that many Sky HD wannabes found their installation dates being put back at the very last minute, sometimes by months. Sky wouldn't confirm exactly how many people were affected, but judging by the amount of emails we've been getting and the general chatter on the AV forums, we reckon it's at least in the hundreds, possibly in the thousands. And that, remember, includes some of the people who were among the very first to sign up for a box. I know a mate of mine signed up at least three months ago as a VIP customer and his installation was delayed. Sky blames the supplier of its receivers, Thompson, for not delivering as many boxes as promised, but claims that where possible it's pursued a policy of trying to get boxes out to people in the order they paid their deposit. But we certainly know of people, given original install dates within the first week of the service's launch, who've been told they've now got to wait until August. Needless to say, all this messing around has generated some pretty bad feeling among the early adopter market that Sky really needs to attract, putting added pressure on the quality of the service itself. Just as well, then, that our admittedly brief experience with the Sky HD service so far suggests that it's mostly impressive. Where programmes have been shot in native high definition, the picture quality is always excellent and often spectacular. This includes stuff like Sky's football and cricket coverage, most of what's on Arts World, some of the National Geographic and the Discovery Channel's documentaries and all of the BBC's HD showreel. We've also been more impressed than we expected with the quality of most of the HD movies on offer. Both the component and HDMI outputs of the box deliver very good quality results, though there are differences. For while the component jacks deliver a fractionally sharper picture than the HDMI, the HDMI picture is less grainy and enjoys a slightly richer colour tone. We have to say, though, that until the BBC service goes fully live on June the 9th, there isn't really all that much genuine HD content to watch. Also, it's a pity that a portion of the HD material shown is clearly upscaled from standard definition masters, with results that don't come close to true HD quality. Sky One HD is a particularly heavy offender in this way. Still, we guess this situation can only improve as more and more programmes are shot in HD. Anyway, that's quite enough about Sky HD on this podcast. Let's now turn our attention to something completely different. A new set of speakers that appear to have beamed down from Mars. It's hard to describe just how bonkers Irish outfit Ahoka's D2 Saturn speakers look without actually showing you a picture. 
If you're using iTunes to listen to this, then you're in luck. You should be seeing a picture right now. For everyone else, well, I'll give it a go. Built from aircraft-grade aluminium in a PVC and steel composite construction, they stand over a metre tall and are made up of, effectively, five spectacularly different individual sections. At the top is a cute little tweeter, sitting on a large circular mid-range section. This mid-range driver itself sits on a dramatically narrow neck, which then opens up at its bottom end to accommodate a large, downward-firing, semicircular base driver. Are you still with me? Good. And of course, because the base driver fires down, the whole shebang has to be perched on three-pointed legs, making the final result look like something out of the tripods. What's more, this radical styling isn't just designed for design's sake. The speakers claim to be the result of six years of research into what speaker shapes deliver the optimum sound quality. With these new satin versions of the D2s also boasting newly improved innards to take the sound quality to an even higher level. If you fancy turning your living room into an episode of The Jetsons, a pair of these stunning speakers will set you back around £5,500. Finally, we bring you news from Sharp in Japan of a new approach to TV and PC convergence. The PC and AV worlds seem to be converging towards multimedia PCs, even though these tend to scare off mainstream consumers. So Sharp have decided to come at the problem from another angle by producing LCD TVs with 500 gig hard drives and internet access built in. As the owner of an LNX PC TV myself, I reckon it's a good way to go. This means they'll let you store video recordings and digital photographs, as well as providing all your typical internet functionality, including watching broadband video programs, without any need for a complicated external PC-like box. These new Aquas TVs are launching in Japan right now, though at the time of writing, Sharp was unable to confirm if they would hit the UK at all. Needless to say, if they do, we'll be the first to let you know. Get the latest AV hardware reviews and price comparison information. Visit avreviews.com. The AV Forum, DVD News and Review Roundup with Phil Hinton. Welcome to this week's DVD News and Reviews. Coming up, we have reviews of Date Movie Unrated and Underworld Evolution. But first, DVD News. And we start with some very good news for Blade Runner fans. Warner Brothers has finally announced that they've settled the rights issues surrounding the film and will be releasing a number of editions in the coming months. First, there will be a two-disc special edition on DVD and HD, which will include the original director's cut from 1992 in anamorphic widescreen and with new-look extras. Then, in 2007, there will be a theatrical run of Ridley Scott's definitive cut of the movie, and shortly after this, a multi-disc DVD release, as well as HD releases. These will include all four different versions of the movie, as well as even more newly made extra features. We'll bring you more details on this exciting release soon. On July 11th, Sony Pictures Home Entertainment will release Basic Instinct 2 Risk Edition Unrated on Region 1 DVD. The disc will include the usual anamorphic transfer and Dolby Digital 5.1 sound, as well as 10 deleted scenes, alternate ending and a featurette. Universal has announced four more HD DVD titles for release in August in the States. Ray, The Interpreter, The Bone Collector and Spy Game will all include 1080p transfers and Dolby Digital Plus sound mixes. In Region 2 DVD news, Fox has announced the release of Hills Have Eyes on the 26th of June. The 2005 remake will have anamorphic video 
Dolby 5.1 sound and a host of extras including commentaries, featurette and production diaries. And Sony has announced an August release for Rent on Region 2 DVD. Available from the 28th, the DVD will feature an anamorphic transfer, Dolby 5.1 sound, with extra features such as deleted scenes and a commentary. And finally, Universal has announced the release of Munich on Region 2 DVD from the 12th of June. The disc goes one better than the standard Region 1 release and includes a featurette on the making of the movie. And that is your DVD news for this week. This week's DVD Reviews What happens after the prince rescues the princess? She rescues him right back. You make me want to be a better man. You had me at hello. I'm just a girl, standing in front of a boy, asking him to love her. The claim that Date Movie Unrated comes from two of the six writers of Scary Movie should send the right warning signals before you even take the wrapping off the box. While the Scary Movie franchise had its fans in occasional laugh-out-loud moments, this new parody movie, which starts at taking the Michael from the romantic comedy genre, soon loses its way in dramatic style. Not once did a smile creep onto the face, and the only saving grace was the 85-minute running time. As far as picture and sound goes, it's all middle-of-the-road averageness. Nothing outstanding, but nothing that stuck out as being bad either. The extras, on the other hand, turned out to be quite forgetful, and that truly sums up this movie. 3 out of 10. What's your favourite love song? (laughs) It's kind of corny. Oh, come on. I'll take you to the candy shop. I'll let you lick the lollipop. Go ahead, girl, and don't you stop. Keep going till you hit the spot. Whoa. This week's DVD Reviews. Some history is based on truth. Some on lies. The war between vampire and lichen has raged for centuries. I was a loyal soldier in that battle. But I was betrayed, and now my own kind have turned against me. Yet I alone hold the key to saving our future. The sequel to the $100 million worldwide hit, Underworld Evolution, continues the saga of the war between the aristocratic death dealers and the barbaric lichens. The film traces the beginnings of the ancient feud between the two tribes, as Celine, the beautiful vampire heroine, and Michael, the lichen hybrid, try to unlock the secrets of their bloodlines. The anamorphic transfer is very good indeed for such a dark-looking film. Blacks are deep and inky with excellent shadow detail, colours are rich with no signs of bleed and are no compression issues to worry about. The Dolby 5.1 track is energetic with a wide soundstage and thunderous bottom end. Extras are also well presented and interesting, and overall this is definitely one to hunt down on DVD. The film scores 7 out of 10. You are the only hope left. This week's DVD review discs were supplied by Movie Time. You can visit their site at mtdvd.com. The AV Forums Podcast Gaming News. 
Duke Nukem Forever may not be coming out anytime soon, but 3D Realms have been extremely busy and Xbox 360 owners will be able to check out the fruits of their labours on June 22nd when the Prey demo will be available to download via Xbox Live. The game casts players in the role of Tommy, a Native American army mechanic who along with his girlfriend Jenny and a spirit guide called Talon sneak on board an alien ship where slavery is rife and other bad things happen, such as Jenny getting kidnapped. It's down to Tommy to evade being captured, free his girlfriend and no doubt save the human race. See what all the fuss is about in a few weeks time. Whilst karaoke may still make a lot of people cringe, PS2 owners have been enjoying themselves with the SingStar games, or more likely their girlfriends have. Suffice to say that another game in the series, SingStar Anthems, is coming out on August the 4th. Prepare yourself to hear rousing renditions of Queen's Radio Gaga, Gloria Gaynor's I Will Survive, Kim Wilde's Kids in America and Dead or Alive's You Spin Me Round, amongst many others. Sadly, a pair of earplugs doesn't come in the packaging, so brace yourselves for some cat wailing. And finally, Nintendo Europe have finally announced the UK release date and price of the DS Lite. Retailing at $99.99 and launching on the 23rd of June, this is a much lighter, brighter and better looking version of the Nintendo DS. With four brightness settings for the screens, a repositioned microphone, a better stylus and 60 grams lighter, this is the portable gaming machine to be seen with this summer. But that's not all, new Super Mario Bros is out the following week and on July the 7th, Electroplankton, a bizarre musical experience hits the shelves. Oh yes, it looks like a Nintendo summer. The highest definition. 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 This is the AV Forums Podcast. Hailing from sunny Southend-on-Sea, BK Electronics is perhaps not a manufacturer who is first on people's minds when they're buying a subwoofer. Yet BK have designed and built some of the most acclaimed subwoofers to come out of the UK, including the REL Q100E. On the phone to tell us about subwoofers and BK Electronics is senior partner Barry Pern and technical manager Tom Pierce. The AV Forums Podcast Special Feature. Guys, welcome to the AV Forums Podcast. Good afternoon. So I'll start with the first question this afternoon um, for Barry and Tom. When and how did BK Electronics get into manufacturing subwoofers? Well, back in, it was about 1992, Tom and I were busy doing the professional market. We're actually doing um, cinema installs for the likes of UCI, Canon Cinemas and Odeon. And we were also selling um, 100-watt modules to the hi-fi industry and the hobbyists. And a guy called Richard Lord that was in the uh, Merchant Navy as a radio officer uh, bought some of our modules. And then he approached us to... Uh, build an ABC filter that it develops and we had a chat and I said why, why don't you put it on a panel and Richard said that's a good idea so the the sub base panel was born now if we hadn't have had that telephone conversation I don't know where the the home cinema subwoofer industry would be now because there would be no panels albeit someone else might have done it but um, anyway, we started manufacturing for Richard in about 1992. The first one was a sub called the Stygian. That lasted a week. He didn't like the name. It meant um, deep and murky. And then we, I think we had three other names, and then we ended up with a stadium. And off we went building subwoofers for Richard Lord. I mean, I think the industry really, loves, uh, really owes a lot to Richard Lord and his subs because I don't really think there may not be any subs without him. 
Can you um, briefly describe the subwoofers that you manufacture at the moment? I'll let Tom do that one. Right, we've got a number of subwoofers. We've, we've got the smaller subwoofers. Uh, we've got a Minotaur, which is a 50-watt 18th, which is suitable for smallish, smallish rooms, bedrooms. Uh, and if you've got uh, a, a Yamaha YSP-1, one of the sound projectors, it will uh, give you a bit of bottom end. And then we've got the Gemini, which is 150 watt 8 inch, and that's been designed to be used with hi-fi and AV equipment, and it's all singing and dancing frequencies and uh, viewing just all the inputs you could need. And then we've got the XF200, which is uh, one of the first subwoofers we've done for ourselves, not an OEM. Uh, that's become a bit of an icon on the AV forums, really. And the and now the monolith, and they're the subwoofers we manufacture for ourselves. So how do you go about designing a subwoofer? <clears throat> Depends on whether it's a sub for us or a sub for an OEM. If an OEM wants a sub, they have their own ideas of how the sub should end up. With our subs, uh, we take the XLS 200, uh, we see there was uh, a need for a small sub that go down low and was, and was quite powerful. And so we thought, right, for wife acceptance, let's get a small footprint. From that, we, you know, we get uh, an internal volume and then we would model drivers in that internal volume to see what they look like on the computer. And we'd get a short list of speakers and then make sample cabinets up, do listening tests here with some of our employers, employees. And uh, from then we would select the best sub. That's how the XLS was born, in the forward firing version. And then the customer, which is the AV Forumites, would say, why don't you do a downward firing version? And we would have to change. And then if you take something like the Monolith, we, just, we needed a sub that would get down to minus 3 dB in the middle of a field not in the room. Uh, so we, you've got to start by the, uh, having the, the speaker designed, the drive unit, and then we'd make the cabinet and test that to see whether it sounds okay, and then tune the cabinet. All diff there's different, different ways of designing a sub, uh, but at the end of the day, we always do listening tests because they're made to be listened to, really. Uh, we tend to make them so they're good with music, and if they're good with music, they should be good on AV as well. How much consideration do you give the wife acceptance factor of a subwoofer? Um, well, we we uh, we take on board what everyone says. I mean, obviously, with the smaller subs, it's not a problem. But then, when we bought the monolith out, um, Tom had to be in his bonnet about doing a forward firing one, which we did, and um, it, it it got good reviews, good press, particularly on your forum. But then um, we were losing sales because uh, no way would a wife have a wife or partner have a have a monolith in forward firing. And so then we did the downward firing one. You know, we we fully take on board what people say. I mean, we've actually colour matched cabinets because we've got our own spray shop. We've actually colour matched um, small cabinets to, we, we, even with an emulsion to match someone's kitchen. So yeah, we do take on board. The, the wife acceptance factor, yeah. 
Do you think there's a, a problem convincing people that subwoofers are a valuable component of a home cinema? I don't, I don't know if they uh, need convincing. I think uh, what happens in a lot of cases, they buy, buy uh, a cheap package and the, the first thing that stands is the subwoofer. Uh, and then they go looking for a subwoofer. There are, obviously, there's exceptions to the rule. There are some people who really, will need convincing. I think uh, people buying home cinema know they need the point one channel, otherwise you wouldn't have 5.1 or 7.1. The sub is the point one, so they don't need convincing. I think a few uh, hi-fi uh, enthusiasts would need convincing, but I don't think the home the home cinema people do. More and more subwoofer manufacturers are using um, EQ to help integrate subwoofers into the end user's room. What advantages and disadvantages do you see with that approach, and is it one that you're likely to employ in the future? We, I mean, at the moment we're just making the subs quite quite basic, to be honest. Uh, where the EQ is uh, needed, I think there's a, a lot of gadgets out there now that would do the job far better. I think... Uh, uh, the high end, the SMS one, is a, a good product, and then they've got the the Behringer, that's quite cheap and very effective. So I think EQ is an important part because obviously the biggest factor in any setup is the room. So I don't think we'll be will be building the EQ into the subwoofer, not in this in the future. But we've always swayed by by customers. Customers always want want something and you can't ignore them. You currently split your sales between OEM work and your own direct sales. Do you see that changing at all? Uh, no, I think we'd always um, take on board OEM work. I mean, we're currently making two or three hundred cabinets a week um, for other companies, so I think we'd, we'd try and keep a balance. I mean, bear in mind the hi-fi industry is very seasonal, and it goes very quiet in the summer with our own subwoofers. We can carry on making um, OEMs for bigger companies that can maybe stock stock volume through the summer ready for the winter. Who else do you manufacture subwoofers for? Um, I'd like to answer that, but for obvious reasons we can't. I mean, uh, some people like to put, you know, we silk screen on the panels that we make handcrafted in the UK by blah, blah, blah. But they obviously, uh, we wouldn't like to say who we make for. How do you feel the market is for subwoofers in the UK at the moment? Um, very, very difficult. Um, uh, it's far more difficult than we first started. I mean, when we first started, um, there was no competition. I mean, we were we were making a thousand subwoofers a month, uh, but now every every month, every year, it becomes diluted. Uh, diluted. There's a huge choice of subwoofers out there. Um, you can go to the high street, and you've, you know, there's there's so many. I'm not saying that. If you go in the high street, it's necessarily a good move because you might very well get sold what's in stock or uh, what carries the biggest profit for the retailer. Three years ago, all subs were purchased via traditional retailers, whether bricks or mortar, or e-tail. But in the past three years, we've seen a a big growth in direct sales um, in the manufacturer arena. What's your opinion on the future of direct marketing? Um, I think direct marketing... um, I honestly believe that that is the way forward. I mean, you can see it happening in the high street now. I mean, 
uh, Dixons are going to become carriers so that Dixons can um, focus on direct marketing. I, I find it uh, quite unique to be able to sit here and uh, take direct orders and, and do a bit of direct marketing. Many sub-manufacturers are turning to China to cut costs um, with yeah. the latest realm models being made out there. Do you think you can remain competitive against Chinese imports, and if so, how? Oh, certainly. I certainly think we can remain competitive because if you're, if no one in China can do direct marketing, so it's got to go um, down the retail chain. And it's no secret that um, some of the hi-fi shops buy something in for, say, £100, and they sell it for 200 plus fat. So there's, there's such a huge markup that I would always, you know, we can certainly remain competitive if it's coming from China and going retail. And plus the fact that we can do such a wide range of finishes and colours, I mean, I think you can see what's happening with rail. I mean, their new models, I, I believe you can have any colour you like as long as it's black lacquer. I understand that you designed and built the entire Rail Q range of subwoofers, including the, the Q100E, which won many awards from the UK press. Yeah. What do you think the Q series, and specifically the Q100E subwoofer, was such a success? Why, why um, was that? Well, the Q100E, um, again, there were, there were not a lot, of, a lot of subwoofers around in those days. Um, it was the first, uh, one of the first 12-inch subwoofers with a 100-watt amp. And at that particular time, Harman were doing the marketing, and the Q100 he's, uh, Q100E's left here, uh, picked up by Harman and went straight to London. Um, and they had all the clout of Harman doing the marketing. Uh, plus, that is a really good product, and as you rightly say, it won many awards. I think Tom should take the credit because I think um, Tom did all the design work on the amplifier. So, given the success of the Q series, why were they discontinued? Um, I think you best ask real that, really. Um, I mean, we would have carried on making them, but um, I don't know, to be quite honest. So what does the future hold for BK and your subwoofer line? Um, well, Tom and I have regular meetings. Um, we've got quite a lot of new subwoofers, subwoofers in the pipeline. I mean, I mean I'm not saying there's going to be any re- released in the next few months, but certainly over the coming years we've got some quite exciting products lined up. I mean we might even um, take the subwoofer back out the back out the um, subwoofer and have a standalone subwoofer amp. I mean there's all sorts of exciting possibilities. Barry, Tom, thank you very much for joining us today on the AV forums and I wish you all success for the future. Yeah, thanks very much for that and keep up the good work. Thanks a lot there. The biggest news and DVD reviews every week. You're listening to the AV Forums Podcast. Contact the AV Forums Podcast. Email podcast at avforums.com. If you have any AV hardware issues you'd like us to contact manufacturers about on your behalf, please email avdoctor at avforums.com. And that wraps up the seventh AV Forums Podcast. If you've got any questions, comments, feature suggestions or news for our podcast team, then let us know in our feedback forum at www.avforums.com. This is Jason Bradbury saying thanks for listening, stay subscribed and tell your friends. The AV Forums podcast was presented by Jason Bradbury and written by John Archer. The DVD News and Reviews Roundup was written and presented by Phil Hinton with gaming news written by Damon Dove. Original music by Andrew Bassett. The podcast was produced and mixed by Phil Hinton, and the executive producer was Stuart Wright. 
All content, including sound clips and music, is copyright material and featured for promotional use only. The AV Forums podcast is copyright M2N Limited.